0: This is a Wednesday afternoon edition of Ozarks at Large for October 13th, 2021. This is KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. I'm Kyle Kellams. Thank you so much for being with us. Ahead today, UAMS-led research into long COVID symptoms may be delivering hope for people who feel various effects of the virus well after initial infection. Ozarks at Large is Jacqueline Froelich. We'll deliver that story later this hour. The Arkansas Department of Health reports 733 new cases of COVID-19 in the most recent 24 hours of testing, with 15 newly confirmed deaths. Active cases were reduced by 83 in the last 24 hours, and people hospitalized in Arkansas because of the virus dropped by eight patients. The Oklahoma State Department of Health reported 595 newly diagnosed cases yesterday morning. And after adding no newly confirmed deaths in Oklahoma in Monday's report, the Oklahoma State Department of Health yesterday added 107 additional fatal cases. 10,723 Oklahomans have now died from coronavirus. The Northwest Arkansas Council will team up with local health care systems to host more than 60 pop-up COVID-19 vaccination clinics during the next two weeks. Additionally, the group announced yesterday it will sponsor another large-scale vaccination event at J.B. Hunt headquarters in Lowell on Friday. Information about the clinics can be found at nwacouncil.org slash vaccine hyphen calendar. A group is seeking to prevent newly drawn boundaries for Arkansas's four congressional districts from going into effect. The group Arkansans for a Unified Natural State says it is beginning the process of collecting signatures to overturn the new map through a process known as a veto referendum or popular veto. Kwame abdul Bey of the group says they have 90 days to collect 54,000 signatures from at least 15 Arkansas counties to overturn the legislation.
1: Other rights. Even the most basic are illusionary if the right to vote is undermined. And we believe that uh, the way that these maps were drawn, the right to vote uh, and vote for the candidate of your choice has been undermined uh, in uh, Pulaski County, particularly in southeastern Pulaski County, which is a predominantly non-white population of voters.
0: abdul Bay says he also expects legal challenges to the new congressional district map, which was approved by the legislature last week. Governor Asa Hutchinson has not said whether he will sign the map into law, veto it, or let it become law without his signature. The next community cookout to discuss possible ways for Washington County to spend COVID-19 relief funds is scheduled for tonight from 6 until 8 at the West Fork Riverside Park. There is one more scheduled cookout on the 19th in Lincoln. Sewer and water projects in Tommytown can move forward after residents gave overwhelming approval to a sales tax extension in the city yesterday. About 85 percent of the ballots cast supported that extension. You can hear more news from our region every weekday morning at 530 and 730 with newscasts from Daniel Carruth during Morning Edition. This is Ozarks at Large. The National Science Foundation recently awarded nearly $18 million to a team of University of Arkansas researchers led by Alan Mantooth. This grant is designated to build and operate a new kind of semiconductor research facility. Ozarks at Large's Matthew Moore helps explain.
2: Dr. Alan Mantooth is a distinguished professor of electrical engineering at the University of Arkansas. And in addition to teaching and doing research, he also writes grants. And when it comes to asking for $18 million? Oh, it's a
1: process, believe me.
2: Mantooth says about three years ago, his team sent a grant pre-proposal to the National Science Foundation with a plan to do research and fabricate a new kind of semiconductor to be used in all sorts of technology.
1: Uh, We were not selected to submit a full proposal.
2: He says they received a lot of good feedback from the NSF on how they could improve on their proposal, and two years later...
1: Our second uh, pre-proposal this past January, we were invited for a full proposal, which we turned in in April, and then subsequently were, were awarded.
2: With that money, Mantooth and his colleagues will be building and operating a silicon carbide semiconductor research and fabrication facility. If little to no words in that sentence made sense, that's okay. I'll save you a YouTube search. Let's start with semiconductors. Metals are conductors, which means they help pass electricity. Rubber is an insulator, which stops the flow of electricity. That's why the wiring in your house uses metal for light switches and outlets, but the wiring is surrounded by a rubber sleeve, which protects it from touching other pieces of metal it's not supposed to. A semiconductor, then, is kind of both. Silicon is an example of a semiconductor. At one temperature, silicon acts as an insulator, but when it's heated, it becomes a conductor. Semiconductors are at the heart of every technology and even helping you listen to this story, whether you're using a classic dial radio or your smartphone. The facility at the U of A is planning to work with a newer and more robust kind of semiconductor, silicon carbide. So, does that mean silicon is being phased out? Definitely not, according to Dr. Mantooth.
1: Silicon will be better and is better for things like your Intel microprocessor. That's silicon, man. I mean, and it's just so finely tuned. It's perfect, perfect match for that. So for those types of applications, high speed digital applications, maybe even a lot of analog applications, you know, where we're doing signal processing, uh, data conversion, A to D conversion, a lot of applications, silicon will still be the key.
2: What's the difference between silicon and silicon carbide? As Dr. Mantooth explains, silicon is a lattice structure.
1: And what we're doing to make silicon carbide is it's a hybrid. So it's it's an alloy between silicon and carbon
2: atoms. Put them together, make silicon carbide. Silicon carbide semiconductors can handle higher voltages, which means they are more powerful. And they can also withstand higher temperatures.
1: This is attractive for things like applications such as transportation
2: or electric power grid. Another major field of transportation this is exciting for is heavy machinery, like bulldozers and tractors.
1: It all comes down to energy efficiency, promoting lighter weight, more compact solutions And silicon carbide lends itself to make that happen. And our labs here at the University of Arkansas for the last decade, working with our collaborative partners, uh, both here in Arkansas and, and, and throughout the country and abroad, have demonstrated time and again applications of how silicon carbide
2: is a big advantage. But don't think of silicon and silicon carbide as competitors. The two different kinds of semiconductors work together in different types of machines harmoniously. We've seen the gaps in our global supply chain that have become evident during this pandemic, whether it's running out of toilet paper, nations trading import tariffs, or a giant boat getting stuck in the Suez Canal depending on global markets for something as critical as a semiconductor is very consequential. And Dr. Mantooth says America should be the nation leading the charge in research and fabrication.
1: I mean, when you're dealing with international trade, there's advantages and there's disadvantages. And we see what some of the disadvantages can be when you don't have a resilient supply chain. And that doesn't mean we shouldn't import some things or, or need to. We will. But you know as much self sufficiency as we can have then maybe that's that's a good thing
2: the nearly 18 million dollars is meant to pay for infrastructure equipment and enhancements to current facilities but dr manduth says there will not be a new construction on campus for this project
1: it is for refurbishment of existing facilities the equipment itself the installation costs and the commissioning costs so bringing the equipment up to speed and up to up to specification A lot of that is done on site. Remember, this is highly specialized equipment. The lead time to actually get it will be like a year for some of them, maybe even a little bit more. It's made to order. It's made by companies that will bring the equipment. They will install it. They'll have engineers on site. They'll get it all tweaked up, and we will run material through it. It pays for all of that, and it also pays for students to be engaged in this activity, particularly the commissioning activity. Once the tool is kind of operating, then the students will have an opportunity to interact with the equipment, learn things.
2: The money will also go towards full-time staff and doctorate researchers. They will also be doing small-scale fabrication on-site as well. What that
1: is, is that represents a bridge between two things that are divided right now. One is the the research community, whether it's small businesses, national labs, universities, or big businesses, and production, high-volume production. How do you get between those two? And our fab facility represents a bridge between those two, where companies and universities can prototype their ideas in low volume, check out their ideas for relatively low cost. And then if it's something that bears fruit, then they can go to high volume production. If you're a small business, this is a great way to do something and you don't have to bet your entire company on whether or not you're successful for example. And so this is this is a, this this helps fill a part of the manufacturing ecosystem from laboratory
2: to the market. Mantooth says it's important to remember the main reason why he's so excited about this funding. Is so that the University of Arkansas produces a
1: better student product. At the end of the day, the students are our main product. And we're about producing the very best student we can. And with that, you have to have competitive facilities, You have to have great faculty who can teach them, who are experts in their areas. uh, And we create that culture, and that attracts people to you. And you you get great students who then themselves maybe go start companies, or or they go to work for companies and and, and have happy and productive lives. That's what this is about. It's about producing a better student and and doing all we can as faculty and administrators at the University of Arkansas to, to fulfill that mission for the state. And so that's the big message here and that's why we're we're tickled to death that we've been able to procure this.
2: For Ozarks at large, I'm Matthew Moore.
0: And a bit more research news this week. Doctors at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences are now working with the first lung biopsy robot in the state. The robot can find and biopsy previously undetectable cancerous nodules in the far reaches of the lung. The robot, officially called the Ion Endoluminal robotic bronchoscopy system was first activated last month at UAMS and is already being credited with finding early cancerous nodules in two patients. According to UAMS, about 70% of nodules reside in the far reaches of the lung.
3: I'm Michelle Martin. When we reach certain milestones, we often want to reevaluate a few things, maybe try something different, like, I don't know, a new look. Maybe skydiving. But here at NPR, 50 years in, we've been taking stock and feeling pretty good. A little wiser and ready to take on another 50. New hobbies and haircuts come and go, but NPR is here for you for the long haul.
0: And thanks for being with us at KUAF for the long haul. We've been your public radio station for more than 36 years. And thanks to your continued attention and support, we've been able to add free services that make listening to KUAF even easier. You can stream all of our signals, the news and music of 91.3, the -the round-the-clock classical music of KUAF2, and the jazz and locally produced musical program encores of KUAF3 through either the KUAF app or KUAF.com. Both available anywhere. Both services available to you at no cost. Thank you for your help over these years in making KUAF available to you anywhere and at any time. And stay with us for the rest of this Ozarks at Large. It's Wednesday. So Charlie Allison, the executive editor at the University Relations Department at the University of Arkansas, has another trip into the U of A's past. This week, the creation and success of the Arkansas Traveler newspaper. He continues to give us these dispatches as part of the university's sesquicentennial celebration. And from another newspaper, film creator Courtney Lanning with the Arkansas Democrat Gazette explains the new indie film Hard Luck Love Song delivers on its title for better and for worse. Charlie and Courtney in our second half hour of today's Ozarks at Large.
4: Walton Arts Center presents the Broadway musical Come From Away, October 26th through the 31st. Based on a true story, cultures clash and nerves run high between stranded passengers and a small town in Newfoundland. But trust grows, music soars, and friendships do endure. waltonartscenter.org or 443-5600 for tickets. Support for KUAF comes from Bob's Red Mill Natural Foods, makers of simple breakfast cereals, including high-fiber, old-country-style muesli, made with whole grains, nuts, seeds, and fruit, online at bobsredmill.com and available at Walmart. This
0: is Ozarks at Large. Thanks so much for being with us. If you ever hear a story or interview on our program that you'd like to share through email or through social media... Just go to OzarksAtLarge.com. We have links to every interview and story right there, like this one. UAMS researchers may have found a cause of post-COVID syndrome, also known as long COVID, which in patients can impair cognition, energy, and for many, the ability to taste and smell. Ozarks At Large's Jacqueline
1: Froelich reports.
5: Last December, Holiday Island resident Jared Hollenbeck began to feel odd.
6: The first thing that I noticed was coffee, uh, which I have every single day, tasted, burnt, uh, smelled burnt.
5: Worried, he went to a local clinic. He tested positive for COVID-19. He developed a runny nose and mild chest congestion. But what alarmed him most was that he couldn't taste or smell anything.
6: Both senses were completely gone.
5: Hollenbeck, who's now vaccinated, has regained his ability to taste and smell with a few weird exceptions.
6: Lettuce uh, tasted like, like you just sprayed a perfume bottle into my mouth. That's exactly what uh, lettuce tastes like and still continues to taste like to me. The other thing is a smell. Uh, it's this, I can't describe it. It's, it's, it smells like dirt, like just dirt piled up, but it smells like that dirt is a 1,000 years old. It's the weirdest, oddest smell. I'll catch it in the wind. I've smelled it in rooms before. I've smelled it on people that have been in that room.
5: Allembeck is experiencing a symptom associated with post-COVID syndrome or long COVID. SARS-CoV-2, the novel coronavirus that causes COVID-19, is spread by infected people exhaling respiratory droplets, which contain tiny virus particles. If inhaled by a healthy individual or touched and transferred, to the nose, eyes, or mouth, the virus can enter healthy cells, quickly replicating, causing chills, congestion, cough, deep fatigue, body aches, and loss of taste and smell, one of several symptoms that can persist for months or longer. John Arthur, M.D., Director of Nephrology at University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences in Little Rock and Associate Director of the Translational Research Institute and his research team, are investigating long covid
6: So long COVID is symptoms that occur after the resolution of the acute infection, the original infection.
5: Long COVID was first identified in the spring of 2020. As many as a third of positive COVID-19 patients may develop symptoms associated with post-COVID syndrome.
6: The most commonly described symptoms are fatigue and loss of concentration, but there's lots of other things. There's disruptions of taste and smell, um, shortness of breath, gastrointestinal symptoms.
5: To understand why certain patients develop long COVID, Arthur and his research team at UAMS set to work sampling plasma and blood from both positive and negative patients.
6: And we, it seemed like the immune system might be involved. And we were sort of focused on something called the renin-angiotensin system.
5: The renin angiotensin system regulates blood pressure, fluid balance, and modulates immunity. People infected with COVID 19 develop antibodies against the virus, but some individuals, Arthur says, produce a second antibody called an autoantibody, which attacks the body's angiotensin converting enzyme 2, ACE2.
6: So the first antibody is formed, the coronavirus comes in, um, attacks the body. And the body says, aha, this is a foreign substance. I need to make something to attack it. So it makes an antibody that can bind to the coronavirus. And that's part of the way that we get rid of these viruses. So that's all good. That's what we expect it to do. But then that new antibody is also foreign because that's never been in the body before. The body sees that new antibody as being foreign. And so it makes another antibody against the first antibody.
5: When this second antibody attacks ACE2, it may cause organs to malfunction, resulting in symptoms like brain fog or, in some, parosmia, impaired olfactory sensory neurons, a tweaked sense of smell and taste. For this study, the UAMS research team analyzed plasma from patients who developed SARS-CoV-2 antibodies and had donated their plasma for infusion into individuals sickened with COVID-19
6: so so called convalescent plasma and those patients had had coronavirus and had been symptom free for at least 2 weeks after their infection
5: they also analyzed plasma or blood serum from patients never diagnosed with the coronavirus
6: so we were able to compare people that we knew had it and uh, and had recovered to people patients that had never had it And what we found is the patients that had had coronavirus infection, about 80% of them had an antibody against this ACE2 protein, whereas in the group that didn't have it, none of those patients had an antibody.
5: Some patients with the autoantibody reported severe long-term COVID-19 symptoms, but not all. The patients
6: that get symptoms, we think it's because the, the system that regulates those antibodies isn't working quite right.
5: Some long COVID patients may have much higher levels of the autoantibody, Arthur says, which may persist. Those vaccinated against COVID-19 who do get infected may be better protected against developing post-COVID syndrome.
6: Well, we think they should be. Uh, one of the most interesting things is there's a lot of case reports of people that have, that have symptoms after COVID, the post uh, the long COVID syndro- uh, sy- syndrome, and when they're vaccinated their symptoms get better.
5: The research study was launched in March this year and completed in May. The results are published in the open access, peer-reviewed public library of Science One. The research was financially supported by the Translational Research Institute at UAMS, which is funded by National Institutes of Health, as well as a UAMS COVID-19 pilot grant. This autumn, a follow-up study is being launched.
6: Yes, we are starting a study now to look at patients with long COVID symptoms and if anybody's interested in participating, they can register at arresearch.org and uh, check the box that says long COVID and uh, that'll, that'll allow us to contact them to participate.
5: Patients who volunteer for the follow-up study will be sent a survey to assess long COVID symptoms and their blood will be sampled for autoantibodies. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich.
0: Tomorrow night at 6.30, Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Fayetteville will host Vigil in Solidarity with Haitian asylum seekers in deportation proceedings and black migrants' unfair treatment within the immigration system. The vigil coincides with others being held across the country, organized by Haitian Bridge Alliance. The vigils are demanding an end to U.S. immigration laws that bar entry for all immigrants seeking asylum. Haiti immigrant advocates claim social and political unrest, crippling poverty, and earthquakes are now triggering growing out migration of nationals struggling to survive. Catholic Immigration Services in Little Rock and sister agency Canopy NWA in Fayetteville both told us no Haitian refugees are being processed for resettlement in Arkansas, But Canopy Executive Director Joanna Krause says any eligible individual who requests services will be fully accommodated. And the Rogers-Lowell Area Chamber of Commerce will host the Northwest Arkansas Minority Business Expo tomorrow from 2 until 7 at the Metroplex Event Center in Rogers. The expo is free to the public. According to a statement from the chamber, tomorrow's expo is designed to help businesses of all sizes and types engage with each other and the community to make new connections and learn about the region's entrepreneurial diversity. More information about tomorrow's expo can be found at rogerslowell.com.
4: Walton Arts Center's Starlight Jazz Series presents Jane Bunnett and McKay on Friday, October 22nd at 7.30 p.m. Showcasing the rhythms and culture of Cuba, Jane is known for her artistry on flute, saxophone, and piano. Cuban female musicians McKeke have evolved into one of the top groups on the Afro-Cuban jazz scene. WaltonArtsCenter.org or 443-5600 for tickets. KUAF is supported by Hendrix College, offering engaged learning by linking classrooms to the world and developing career skills throughout its curriculum. Hendrix graduates pursue medical, law, and other advanced degrees, preparing students to lead lives of accomplishment hendrixedu slash connect for more information.
0: An opportunity for nonprofits that work on projects directly supporting LGBTQ plus Arkansans to receive up to $150,000 is now open. Arkansas Community Foundation formally opened the portal for applications this week. The program was announced earlier this year. The grants will support costs associated with programs and initiatives, that directly support lives of LGBTQ Arkansans and can range from $25,000 to $150,000. But the grants cannot be used for lobbying or partisan political activity. Applications for the first round of the Arkansas LGBTQ Plus Advancement Fund are due by November 22nd. You can find out much more information at ARCF.com. The fifth annual Pack the Pantry Drive to benefit the Full Circle Pantry at the University of Arkansas is underway. It will last through Saturday, October 23rd. Last year, with the pandemic in full gear and no vaccinations available, people donated roughly 8,000 non-perishable items. In 2019, the donations totaled more than 23,000 goods. This year, in a nod to accommodate the limitations brought about by the ongoing pandemic, the drive is for both physical and and financial donations. Also, as a nod to the virus, the pantry has specific time slots available for donation drops. Common donations include pasta, canned goods, peanut butter, laundry detergent, and hygiene products. More information can be found at the Facebook page for the Jane B. Gerhart Full Circle Food Pantry. And the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences will offer a free virtual workshop about traumatic brain injuries early next month. The session... From noon until 2 on Thursday, November 4th, will provide information for people living with traumatic brain injuries, their caregivers, their family, as well as health care providers. Topics will include rehabilitation options, enhanced emergency response, and information about specialized telecommunications equipment and free services. To register, and again, this is free, you can call 501-526-7651. Fifty-six, And we're going to give you that number again at the end of today's Ozarks at Large.
7: Hospitals in Montana are overwhelmed with a surge in COVID-19 that just won't end.
8: The worst thing is that we had so much hope when the vaccine came out. We thought we'd never be here again.
7: And many are criticizing Governor Greg Gianforte for not doing more to turn it around. I'm Elsa Chang. That story this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News.
0: All things considered today and every weekday afternoon from 3 until 6 on KUAF and streaming through the KUAF app. This is Ozarks at Large. For 150 years, things have been happening on the University of Arkansas campus. And for nearly as long, there have been people, students, faculty, staff, trying to inform the rest of the campus community about what is happening. This week, as he continues to observe the sesquicentennial of the University of Arkansas, Charlie Allison, the executive editor for University Relations at the U of A, places his spotlight on some of the efforts to inform at the University of Arkansas.
7: On a cold but sunny day in early February, 1948, the editor of the student newspaper gave two staff members an assignment to cover the admission of Silas Hunt, the first black student at the university, in more than two generations. Hunt's decision to enroll in the School of Law was arguably the most important news event at the university since its founding. The two students, a reporter named Bob Douglas, who was a veteran of World War II, and Bob McCord, a crackerjack photographer who was a bit younger, left Memorial Hall and went next door to the School of Law to witness the event and ask Hunt for an interview. Their stories and photographs appeared in an extra edition that day, even before the state and local newspaper stories made it to print. The extra edition included an editorial column by Wanda Wasner. She wrote, quote, We have failed to provide adequate schools for the members of the Negro race. To deny them the right to higher education would be contrary to our professed belief that each man can go forward according to his own merits. She concluded the editorial saying, The traveler is in favor of the decision. In a nutshell, this anecdote captures the mission of a student newspaper. It reports on news of consequence to its primary readership, the university's students. It tells the outside world about the goings-on of the university and preserves the university's history. It holds officials accountable, and it offers student journalists a hands-on learning experience. The first student newspaper at the U of A, titled The University Weekly, was published October tenth, nineteen 1906. Students had published literary magazines prior to that date, but this was the first full-fledged newspaper. Its editor was Joseph Othell York, who was from the farming community of Belfont, just east of Harrison. The society editor was from Springdale, and she had what I think is my favorite student reporter name. Ali Umba. (laughs) Issues printed during the first year were similar to those that followed throughout most of the 20th century. Four pages with news, opinion, feature, and sports, plus advertising mixed in to pay for the printing. Some of the stories and editorials have changed, though. In 1908, for instance, the editor advocated that the city of Fayetteville pave the crossings at streets, which were still dirt in those days and became a mess after a heavy rain. After his success, William Jernigan took some space to congratulate the newspaper itself, saying, quote, And now, oh happy thought, where once the mud caused us to say wicked words, there is a new cement walk. Where once the mud bubbled up around our chin, now we pass like the children of Israel through the Red Sea dry shod. Is this the power of the press? Well, rather. (laughs) Cement sidewalks don't get a lot of news coverage today. Meanwhile, other issues have remained central to coverage in the editorial pages across the decades. For instance, since the first automobiles appeared on campus, there has never been enough parking, apparently. Perennially, a news reporter eventually writes about the inability to find a parking space or the infernal cost of parking stickers or even the high cost of a parking ticket. In 1979, the student cartoonist Mike Galden drew a highway sign with one arrow pointed left to the University of Arkansas campus and a second arrow pointed right to the Siloam Springs branch of the UA parking lot. He also drew a comic strip called Wild Bill that depicted three administrators who thought they had figured out how to solve the parking problem at last. Says one, we simply divide the existing spaces in two, doubling the number of spaces. Well, you know how that worked out. In 1920, the editors of the University Weekly began thinking about doubling their output. A paper shortage during World War I had waned, and the only thing they needed to publish twice a week was a new name. University Weekly just didn't cut it. They sponsored a contest among students to propose new potential names. There was no Darth of entries. Some were mascot-themed, the Wild Boar, Razorback Grunts, or the Pigpen Echoes. Others were boringly stayed, the University Voice, the Student Opinion, and the Student Forum. <laughs> Editors ostensibly chose what they considered the three best entries, the Arkansas Traveler, the Arkansas Rooter, and just the Plain Traveler and put them before the student body for a popular vote. The Arkansas Traveler won by a nearly two-to-one margin. Turned out, two students had submitted the Arkansas Traveler, Septimus Kent and Robert Leffler. The editor said Septimus had submitted his first, and so he won the prize. Across the years, editors warned about various dangers—alcohol, cigarettes, and objectionable dancing— after reading a study that showed non smokers scored considerably higher on exams than smokers, one editor wrote, quote, Ho, oh, ye long, lank, sallow faced, short winded, weak hearted, yellow fingered, pimpled faced cigarette fiend, listen to this. Throw away that coffin tack. Brush the smoking off your clothes. Grasp something solid with your nerveless fingers. Straighten up your back and try to fix the apparatus in your think shop. <laughs> Another editorialized against such dances as the shimmy, the camelback, and the scissors. The newspaper, however, did support efforts to regulate these lascivious campus dances voluntarily rather than through university regulations, which makes sense because if a regulation prevents a dance by its name, what will the same dance be called next year, right? Speaking of dancing, the first woman elected editor of the student newspaper, Mabel Claire Gold, was a dancer too, and limber enough to touch her toe to the top of her forehead from behind. But Gold's real talent was in running a newspaper. She grew up in a newspaper family and worked at the local paper, The Fable Democrat, while she was a student. The local newspaper lauded her choice and reported that, quote, Miss Gold has a thorough understanding of the newspaper field, both the mechanical and the news, which I'll say takes some limberness, too. Leading up to both World War I and World War II, the newspaper could be counted on to editorialize in favor of peace right up until the point that America went to war. And then the newspaper worked hard to support the troops, through both word and deed. In World War II, for instance, the newspaper staff gathered funds to ship the student newspaper to alumni serving overseas. They collected typewriters that were defunct and used them for scrap metal while there was a metal shortage on. They also began sending their news copy to the printer on the Fable Square by bicycle when gas rationing prevented the taxi service from taking it. Some chores, though, were more serious. Dorothy Stuck, the editor in 1943, had the unenviable job of writing an obituary for a classmate, Rimmel Dudley, who was aboard the light cruiser Helena when it sank after being struck by three torpedoes in the South Pacific. She wrote, I knew Rimmel Dudley. He was tall, red-headed, and a swell fellow. He was one of those people you automatically like. It was always Rimmel who saw that the mashed potatoes were served hot instead of cold at the high school banquets. It was always Rimmel who saw that every student was invited and came to the high school functions. It was always Rimmel who saw that each visitor got a good rush at the sorority formal. This isn't the only Rimmel Dudley, she continued writing. You know others, boys who are clean and good and fine, boys who have brilliant futures, boys that you, your hometown, possibly your state, and even your nation will miss. As it turned out, Rimble Dudley hadn't died. No one could have been happier to write a correction than was Dorothy Stuck. <laughs> Today, the Arkansas Traveler continues to publish the same menu of news, opinion, feature, and sports, although most of that publication happens online with an audience as wide as the world. Occasionally, though, they still publish a printed newspaper, usually with a specific focus about an issue of the day. It's sort of like recording a retro LP vinyl album, and sure enough, Students and staff and faculty stop by the news racks to pick up a copy.
0: Charlie Allison is the executive editor of University Relations at the University of Arkansas. Most Wednesdays this year, he's digging into the first 150 years of the U of A's history. There are other observations of the school's sesquicentennial taking place, and you can find out about them at 150.uark.edu. This is Ozarks at Large. With me via Zoom is Courtney Lanning, who is a film critic for the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Joins us most weeks to review a new film. That's what's going to happen here. And, Courtney, this week it was Hard Luck Love Song.
9: Hard Luck Love Song. Does it live up to the title? (laughs) This is a hard movie with a lot of hard people and lots of hard love. So, yeah, I, I would say it lives up to the title. All right, so um, what's, what's the premise
0: behind Hard Luck Love Story?
9: Hard Luck Love Story is a movie that is based entirely on a song by Todd Snyder, and I think it's called Just Like Old Times. Yeah. This is a very what-you-see-is-what-you-get movie. It doesn't make any big promises about cinematic twists or philosophical questions. It's just a story about a pool hustler who drinks and smokes a lot and tries to get back with his former lover.
0: Hmm. Um, So most Todd Snyder songs are somewhere between three and six minutes. Not a lot necessarily can happen in three to six minutes. You said this is
9: based on that song. Does it expand from the song? Not particularly, you know, this is a pretty thin story, you know, given that the entire narrative is based on one country song. uh, This movie runs about an hour and 45 minutes Probably should have had about 10 to 15 minutes trimmed from it. Um, it is what it is. There's there's <laughs> not a lot of depth here. This isn't a Christopher Nolan movie by any means. So, no
0: no new ground here. Is this a recommendation to see it from you?
9: You know, if, if based on what I have told you, you have any interest, go for it. Uh, but if you're looking for any kind of character development, or plot resolution, or deep themes, you won't find them. This this is a comfort movie for people who are looking for a, a very rough, honky-tonk love story. So are there redeemable characters
0: in this movie?
9: You know, I wouldn't say there are. Mm. Uh, uh, the main character is, is a total hustler. He lives in sleazy motels, <laughs> uh, and he he scams people to make money. Uh and that's about it. You know his his former love wants him to change. He's not capable of it. He just wants her back. And that's that's it. You know about
0: 12 or 13 years ago there was a movie called Crazy Heart with Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges won the best actor Oscar for that award uh toward the end of the film and and Jeff Bridges' character is someone who has let people down, his daughter, his former wife, his partners, through alcohol and drug abuse, he gets better and he reforms himself. Spoiler alert. Uh, but but he works towards becoming better. It sounds like the main character in this movie doesn't make that journey.
9: Not so much. Hmm. You know, he, he is what he is. He knows what he is. He's got no intention of changing, despite what he might say. Uh, and at the end, you know, his, his former love has to decide if she's going to settle and just kind of accept him for what he is or or if he's just going to keep on partying and living hard and mm. eating greasy diner food until his heart finally gives out. Okay, well, there you go. <laughs> you may decide that life's just too short to see that
0: in a medium that should offer escape from time to time. I don't this, know.
9: This movie follows a man who is here for a good time, mm. not a long time. Okay. All right. Well,
0: all right. So, Hard Luck, Love Story, full review, comes out in Friday's Democrat Gazette. When, can, when and where can people see this
9: movie if they still want to? This being a smaller film, uh, you're just going to have to check your local theater listings. I'm not Actually. sure which theaters are going to get it yet, but it'll be in theaters on Friday, and it's, it's
0: uh, Hard Luck, Love, Song. Hard Luck, Love, Song, not Story, Song. <laughs> As you pointed out, there's not much of a story. It's more of a song. (laughs) It's a familiar tune, Kyle. (laughs) Familiar refrain. All right, what else will be in Friday's theater offerings uh, that are new?
9: So the other movies that people probably will go see are Halloween Kills, which is the newest entry in the Halloween franchise, which has been going on for years and years, and which I will definitely be skipping because... I don't do scary movies, as you well know. Yes. As as our listeners well know. Um, and then there's a movie that I will be seeing this weekend called The Last Duel.
0: The Last Duel that's uh, medieval and it has, uh, it has Adam Driver and I think uh, uh, there's some other big names Matt, in it.
9: And Matt Damon. Yeah. And um, it it looks like a, a pretty solid story and it's it's from director Ridley Scott, who... Lots of people know him for you know, Gladiator and the first Alien movie, and right. he's got some solid credits behind his name, so we'll we'll see how he does. And one other note
0: about Halloween Kills, it has Jamie Lee Curtis, who, of course, was in the very first Halloween as one of the intended victims of
9: Michael Myers. Mm-hmm. It, you know, I, I don't watch these scary movies, but they're in the zeitgeist enough that I know... Um, I think they're making one last big trilogy here to hopefully send Halloween off and forever. Uh, And this is the second of that conclusion trilogy. So supposedly there will be one more, I think, coming out next year. So we'll see how that goes. I hope you're honestly not thinking
0: that Michael Myers, who has been dying since something like 1980 on screen. I hope you really, Courtney, don't think that this is the end. If this one makes any money
9: or the next one in this trilogy, we'll have more Halloweens. There will be more Halloweens. You're right. You know, and and I just saw the trailer today for Scream 5. So there you go. These people that are supposed to die never stay dead for long. That's right. What do
0: you hope that you'll get in advance for our conversation next week?
9: I would like to review the French Dispatch next week, uh, which is the new Wes Anderson movie.
0: Oh right,
9: Wes Anderson. For for those who aren't familiar with the name, he he always directs these quirky, sort of slightly higher budget than indie films. And um, you know, he did the Grand Budapest Hotel and Fantastic Mr. Fox, and he's just got a whole slew. You'll have to go look him up. And I Love Dogs was his his last movie that he made.
0: All right. Well, hopefully we're talking about that next week. Courtney Lanning, a film critic for the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, as always. Thank you for your
9: time. Thank you for having me.
4: Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. The Arkansas Razorback
0: soccer team, ranked seventh in the nation, will host Missouri Friday night at 7 and onto the team's seniors. The Razorbacks have now won 11 straight. That's a school record. And they are 6-0 in conference play with four regular season SEC matches left. By the way, the first 1,000 fans at Friday night's match received noisemakers. And the John Brown University women's soccer team, ranked 7th in the national NAIA poll, will be in Oklahoma City Saturday afternoon for a match with Oklahoma City University. The JBU women, 4-0 in their conference, 9-1 overall. Their next home match is Monday the 18th at Alumni Field in Siloam Springs, 1 o'clock that afternoon. And the JBU men's soccer team, now 4-7, and 7, also will play in Oklahoma City Saturday afternoon. Then we'll host Oklahoma Panhandle State Monday afternoon at 3.
1: I'm Scott Tong. For years, Nobel laureate Abdurraza Gourna of Zanzibar has been writing about East Africa, colonialism, and cultural identity.
9: And I arrived in London not knowing right from left confused by the large spaces and the hushed crowds,
4: but I talk myself into feeling strong.
1: We speak with him next time on Here and Now.
0: Here and Now, just ahead at one on KUAF. We've had some special elections in 2021, like the one yesterday in town but generally speaking, this is not what we conventionally consider an election year. That doesn't mean we don't talk about elections in a year like this. This year we have been, certainly, including exactly how we are able or will be able to vote. Last week at the Hispanic Women's Organization of Arkansas's annual conference, there was discussion about elections during a panel discussion with Kamara Seals, the policy director of the Arkansas Public Policy Panel, and Arkansas Secretary of State John Thurston. Our conversation was started when an attendee asked for advice for people who are permanent residents but unable to vote when it comes to making a community better.
3: I would. My, my best suggestion on that was to get involved with a grassroots organization that's doing things. Um, you know, there are a lot of grassroots organizations around the state of Arkansas, depending on where they are. Uh, get involved with a grassroots organization that does voter education, voter awareness, uh, uh you know, voter mobilization. Uh, We're working now on talking about having a plan to vote because some laws have changed. You know, uh, one of the things we were just talking about is with absentee ballots. You know, previously we could turn in, uh, those of us who were bearers, uh, we could turn in absentee ballots on election day. But now that law has changed Uh, And we have to turn it in the Friday before Friday at noon, I believe, uh, before Election Day, which means we've lost Saturday, Monday, and Election Day. We lost three days to turn in absentee ballots. So we need to get the word out. So someone who can't vote, get involved with groups who are talking about the new laws, how they impact us. Um, And and they can get involved in registering other people to vote. Uh, And let me tell you this, um, in 2020, Arkansas ranked 50th in voter registration, new voter registration, and we ranked 50th in voter turnout. And my sources on that was the Arkansas Brennan Center for justice and then channel 11 kHTV, khtv Yeah. Uh, so you all can Google that and find it. And there's like three different sources out there. And so we've got a lot of work to do in Arkansas. We've got a lot of work to do. And I was just floored when, I when I first saw the report, I was, uh, it was like the 10 o'clock news. And I, you know, we got these TVs where you can rewind it. And so I had to rewind to make sure I heard that right. And I'm like, how on earth? And and somewhere along the way on turnout, I think we were 49th or 50th, somewhere along with uh Oklahoma. So uh, I think we're arguing about who was actually 50th. But but you can Google that and find credible sources. That, that shares that information. So so if you can't vote, get involved with the group that's doing something.
8: Well, you know, and I guess a prime example is uh, the last presidential election, we were uh, in the middle of a pandemic. And I, I, I would say, I guess we still are. But uh, And there was a lot of conversation on if we would even have uh, an election. If you remember all the conversations uh, early last year, what would the election look like? Uh, will we even have an election and so uh that particular you know year we were really consumed by the the uh the 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 health and the safety uh, of our of voters coming to the polls um so and of course we had a great election in my opinion we uh it was probably the the most the safest and most secure uh election uh in our history you know and, and I do want to you know not echo, but maybe say, you know, a lot of the election laws, uh, you know, of course I support. And, and there's where, when I talked about earlier, you know, we probably disagree on so many things, but, and, and that may, this, this may affect her optimism, optimism a little bit. but there was a lot of the, you know, the legislation that I, uh, uh, was in favor of, you know, the voter ID, which I know there's folks that feel differently about that. Um, but, the the county clerks uh, we we meet they have several conferences throughout the year i was just with them this last uh, last week uh, but uh, yeah every every we believe that everything went really really well and i would love to come back uh, and speak to the to the group uh, about the election process here in arkansas maybe more about from from voter registration to when the the results are certified you know i think the public don't really—they don't really know uh, the process, and that creates a lot of doubt, uh, especially with what's going on in our nation. You know about different results that took place across the nation, whether they were votes uh, were stolen and everything. And I can't speak to all of the other states because I'm—I'm I'm not there and not responsible for that. But however, here in Arkansas, I think we have a really good system. Uh, we had a great system before, and I think it's—it's it, it's even better. Um, But would love to come back and speak to the group about that entire process.
0: That was Arkansas Secretary of State John Thurston talking about elections in Arkansas. Before that, we heard from Kamara Seals, the policy director for Arkansas Public Policy Panel. They both spoke last Friday during a panel discussion that was part of the annual conference hosted by the Hispanic Women's Organization of Arkansas. We had much more from that panel discussion on yesterday's edition of Ozarks at Large. And you can listen to that portion of the discussion by looking for it at ozarksatlarge.com.
10: For the Central Arkansas Library System, I'm Mark Chris with an Encyclopedia of Arkansas Minute. Cora Pinkley-Call, born in 1892 in rural Carroll County, became a noted author of both fiction and nonfiction works. Diagnosed at age 12 with a fatal disease, she dropped out of school and educated herself through reading and walking through the woods and fields near her home, which proved therapeutic. She began writing poetry, short stories for children and adults, and magazine and newspaper stories, as well as books, beginning with Pioneer Tales of Eureka Springs in Carroll County in 1930. She wrote eight other books, including a cookbook, My Ozark Cupboard. Her work focused on family values, religion, patriotism, self-reliance, the beauty of nature, and temperance, the latter inspired perhaps by her having played piano at meetings in Carrie Nation's house. In 1935, she founded the Ozark Writers' Artists' Guild to give creative people from the region an avenue to exchange ideas. Call died in 1966, and the cabin in which she wrote now stands at the Eureka Springs Historical Museum. To learn more, visit encyclopediaofarkansas.net.
0: And before we close out this Wednesday edition of Ozarks at Large, here again is the phone number to register for the free University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences workshop that will be offered virtually about traumatic brain injury on November 4th. This uh, workshop about traumatic brain injury care. The phone number, 501-526-7656. And the community cookout that was scheduled to be in West Fork tonight is now canceled. KUAF's operations manager and producer of the community spotlight, Pete Hartman, passing along that note. So no cookout in West Fork tonight. This is KUAF Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Y-City. Sure, our signal gets to Y-City. And anybody in Y-City can listen to us on KUAF.com or by using the free KUAF app. Timothy Dennis produced this Wednesday edition of Ozarks. Contributors today included Matthew Moore, Jacqueline Froelich, Charlie Allison, and Courtney Lanning. Special thanks to Mark Christ for the Encyclopedia of Arkansas Minute. The news staff at KUAR in Little Rock also provided help for the show. And our theme is written and performed by Daryl Sean. It's titled The First Hurrah. Thank you so much for spending time with us. We will be back with you tomorrow at noon and 7 p.m. on KUAF 91.3. And you can check in with us when you like by accessing the free Ozarks at Large podcast. From your preferred podcast distributor. Thanks again for being with us. You can find out more about us at OzarksAtLarge.com. Please take care of yourself. Check in on your loved ones and neighbors. Stay safe on this uh, stormy Wednesday. From the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio at the Carver Center for Public Radio in downtown Fayetteville, I'm Kyle Kellums. We'll talk again soon.